Welcome to the Faith FX Podcast. I'm Bernie Vandewall. I'm Mark Buchanan. And this is where faith and life meet. Hey, Bernie, this is our first Faith FX where you're away. You're, you're not here in the studio. Uh, no, so I'm... Where are I'm you right now? Connected. I'm uh, in uh, my new office uh, in uh, the Canadian Midwest District of the Christian Missionary Alliance in Regina, Saskatchewan. And when you look out the window, what do you see? Or do you even have a window? They put you in a little cubicle? I, I have a corner. I have a corner office. Yeah. So I have two windows. Oh my goodness! So um, you are the you are the man. Yeah, it's ground floor. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so uh, if I look to the right, I see the utility shed for the apartment next door. Very. Oh man. And uh, Life-giving. And not the other one, I see a parking lot in the, in the apartment building across the street. So you uh, exchanged all of that for your office here in Calgary that looked out at the Rocky Mountains. Okay, I'm just... I'm just, I'm just well, no, actually, I looked, I looked south. Okay. Yeah, yeah it was great south. forest. It was great aspen forest to the south. Yeah. And you traded yeah. it in. I did. I, are you doing well? I'm doing okay, yeah. Yeah, I'm... Uh, I'm keeping very busy, uh, trying to not only uh, do my new job, but even figure out what it is. So, oh yeah, yeah. That that's always an interesting, you know, that first year at a new job where you've got to uh, sort of do a whole bunch of stuff, and people are looking to you to be competent and knowledgeable, and you're figuring out as you go. Oh yeah, I'm completely faking it, and uh, currently my uh, my go to answer is I have no idea. Let me check and I'll get back to you. So here's a question. What would your mother do? Oh, my mom? Yeah. Oh, my mom would probably sound a lot like Mark Buchanan tell me just to just put on my big boy pants and uh, and get with it. So, but, you know, I didn't even have to say it. There, there's your mom in your, your head, her voice oh, yeah, in your head. All the so time. I did, so thank, thank you, Bernie's mom. What's your mom's name? My mom's name was Nell. Good old, good old fashioned Scottish name. Yeah, my mom's, uh, you know, I've got Scottish roots. My mom, Joyce, I think if I was, you know, at the startup of a job, she, my mother tended to sympathize with me to the point that maybe wasn't helpful. Oh, okay. Um, that, that I felt, you know, yes, I was being sort of hard done by or persecuted or whatnot. But, um, but uh, you know, really, I always felt loved and supported by her. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, I was just thinking of this the other day. It's interesting how, how much we've been influenced by, well, probably our mother, certainly my mother for me, uh, in that uh, some of it almost becomes just automatic. So I was recently talking to somebody and I said a phrase uh, and I thought, I thought in my head, that's my mother. My, I, I just channeled, if you will, my mother. Yeah. She's been uh, gone for quite some time now, but. It, it, you know, just and it, it just became subconscious, right? That deep, that that intertwined with my own being. That, so formed that by, with, without trying to yeah. quote her, I, I just naturally did. Bernie, I think that's a good segue to introduce our guest today because we have a um, our guest is going to be talking on a very somber and serious and dire issue about global violence against women. And what we can do as individuals and churches about that. But to think about the incredible influence that I'm thinking about the incredible influence women, beginning with my mother, 
has mm -hmm. had in my life. And so, yeah. um, you know, this, this notion that there's this epidemic of violence is alarming. Our guest today is Dr. Jennifer Singh. She is the Assistant Professor of Intercultural Studies at Ambrose University. And among many of the things she teaches, one of them is on this issue of global violence against women. Jennifer Singh, so welcome to Faith Effects. Thank you. So I introduced you as um, assistant professor, but uh, really, who who are you? Like, who's Jennifer Singh? Well, I'm a second generation Canadian. I'm blessed to be born to parents that immigrated from Guyana, South America in the late 1970s born and raised in the Toronto area. And I've just had the privilege of being able to work for a variety of different Christian relief and development agencies for about 15 years, travel the world, lived in different places, and I've just seen a lot of very good and very ugly things happening in the world. So Jen, a large part of both your research and your field work has been on the issue of violence against women. Like, why does it matter so much to you? And I, and I hope that doesn't sound bad, but yeah, tell us, tell us sort of why this has grabbed your attention. Well, I think growing up in the community that I did in Toronto, the reality is I remember sitting on the portable steps in grade three with my friends, and we were all talking about what was happening in our lives and in our homes. And sadly, violence was just so much a part of the narrative of my childhood friends growing up in the Toronto area. And it was something that was quite normalized in our lives. So I think that from a very early age, I knew inherently something was wrong with the way that my friends' parents were treating one another, but I, w I couldn't put my finger on it or articulate that. And as I began my undergraduate studies, I just really just became more aware of just the magnitude and the scale of violence that not only women in my little community in Toronto were facing, but around the world. And that sort of sparked my interest And in, well, what can I do about this? When I moved to Cambodia in 2001 and was working on a water filtration project in rural Cambodia, I had no idea that putting fresh water in a home in rural Cambodia could help a young girl not be trafficked into the capital city mm. and help her not to live a life of slavery and exploitation. So it was actually rural development work in Cambodia that really opened my oh, cool. eyes to the power of what could be done in the life of a young woman to prevent the life of violence that faced her in a society like Cambodia. Jen, can we come back to the story of your experience in Cambodia with the water system in the home as this critical piece? We wouldn't normally connect that if you get water, running water in the home, <laughs> uh, that somehow that's preventing this you know, this tragedy on a personal and, and on a national global level. Walk us through the logic of that. So in 2001, I was asked to be an intern um, with an organization called Hagar in Cambodia. And for about 10 years, they had had a shelter in the capital city that was helping women out of situations of domestic violence. But what they noticed is that a lot of the young women coming into the shelter had been brought from rural areas by brokers who had promised them a job, education, and then they ended up being exploited on the streets of Phnom Penh, the capital city of Cambodia. I began to realize that if you have a young girl, um, if she, the more education that a young girl is allowed to have in, her, in the safety of her home with her parents in her rural community, the less likely her parents are to see her as a burden to the family and have her carted off to the city to earn income through being a housemaid in the capital city. So when 
Hagar decided to help families access clean water, that meant that a girl had more time to go to school. She didn't have to go and fetch water and again, just be seen as a burden to the family. So you don't automatically make the connection between clean water and preventing sexual exploitation, but that's exactly what happened because the longer a girl can stay in school, the less likely of chance that she'll be exploited in a capital city in a country like Cambodia. Jen, some people would say that the church's responsibility is to preach the gospel. And by that, they often mean to save souls. And that we should really leave this kind of thing, which is a good thing, to other agencies to deal with. I get the feeling that's not your take. So let me ask you this question. How would you respond to those people and to to that assertion? Well, I would just start with the fact that violence is not something that is outside of the church globally. I'm not going to bore your audience with statistic after statistic, but one thing that is important to realize is that one in three women in our own country of Canada are victims of sexual um, mental, physical, socio- um, psychological violence in our country. So to say that the work of the church is to let others take mm-hmm. the lead, the reality is that violence is among and within us. And we only have to flip open our Bibles. The very first book of the Bible, Genesis, details some pretty awful stories of things that happen to women, like the rape of Tamar. We trip along and we get into Judges. We hear about the woman that was chopped up and all the parts of her body were sent out to the Israelites. And then we read about David's own daughter being raped at the hands of her brother. So I don't think either the Old Testament or the New Testament shied away from just the reality Mm -hmm. of violence Mm -hmm. against women. And if we turn to the Gospels and we look at the way that Jesus so carefully interacted with women, particularly in the book of Luke, and the way that he didn't shy away from touch, he didn't shy away from finding out the messy stories of the lives of these women, I think that as the church, we have to emulate the actions of the Lord that we proclaim. And I don't think Jesus shied away from the reality of violence and that a part of his kingdom-bringing ministry was to see freedom and release from those that were victims of violence. So I would just say that violence is amongst us, it's in our churches, and that the church has a responsibility to learn, first and foremost. I agree there are probably agencies outside of the church that do even a better job, but all of us can work on prevention. All of us can work on, Mm -hmm. you know, just helping the church realize that men and women are made in the image of God, and that's where all of this starts. When I was working in Haiti, one thing that I saw very closely at hand was just a lot of unsympathetic readings of scripture that actually justified violence against women. And as we worked with these pastors and reread these scriptures, the idea that God had made men and women in the image of God was what really captivated their hearts and made them realize that perhaps violence was not the best way to solve domestic disputes. So scripture can be used in any which way. And I think if we read it as the grand narrative of God's redemptive story, we see that God wants freedom and he wants release and he wants hope for men and women. And the subject of violence against women is not just about women, it's about men. That's what I loved about the work that we did in Haiti because we worked with pastors and they realized that they were committing violence against their wives and said, this has to change. We have to model something better to our Mm. congregants. So men and women together are a part of the solution. And I've seen that firsthand in Haiti and the difference that it can make. Jen, I want to pick up on that scene at firsthand. Um, I'm, I'm thinking actually when you talk about this as 
is part of how we live out the gospel. First of all, the root of the, the word gospel is good news. And so I think we have to ask, well, what right now, right here, is bad news? And therefore, how does the gospel, how does good news come in? How does the good news of who God is and how God is calling us to be? But you yourself have said, and I am aware of even more of your uh, global experience, you started talking about living in Toronto and how much you realized violence against women and girls was a, a norm, normalized. And then in your a career, you've traveled all over the world and witnessed this in a very firsthand way. So this issue is huge. It's big. It's here. It's there. It's It seems to be growing. Talk to us about the signs of hope that you've seen. I was privileged to work with an organization called the International Christian Alliance on Prostitution. And it's a federation of dozens of grassroots organizations that are helping women out of situations of prostitution and human trafficking. I worked with them for several years and had the privilege of visiting different projects in the highways and byways and backwoods of the world and watching how local people were opening literally the doors of their homes and inviting women in that wanted a change in their lives, that wanted freedom and wanted hope. And I think of people like my friend Mary Zima in Uganda, who herself was in prostitution for a number of years and through the grace of God ended up on a YWAM base just outside of Kampala and had a radical encounter with Jesus. And after her time at YWAM, she went back to her friends on the street and said, there's something more for you. And Mary opened up her home and just started teaching these women how to put beads together and make necklaces so that they could have an income, so that they could support their children. And lo and behold, that sort of turned into this rehabilitation home. And people like Samaritan's Purse Canada came alongside of Mary and said, how can we help you? How can we grow this grassroots work that you're doing? And today, Mary Zima has dozens of women that have come through a rehabilitation program where it's not only counseling, but it's discipleship and it's income generation. And it's also reintegration into the church. Mary has trained up older women in Christian churches in Uganda as spiritual mothers and said to them, be almost like an AA sponsor to these women trying to come out of prostitution, help them come back into the folds of the church, which a lot of these women are a part of. And so you see these women coming back into the church, you see their children being affected positively, and you see the next generation not nearly as at risk for the type of exploitation that their mothers went through. I think of women like Seto Tekatel in, in Ethiopia. Cherry Friedmeier is what we call her. But she was driving in the middle of the night with her family many years ago, and a woman in prostitution ran in front of their vehicle and they almost hit her. And her entire family started chattering away and, you know, talking in a quite a judgmental way, saying, what is this woman's problem? Why is she doing this with her body and with her life? And Cherry herself had finished university and for a year was unemployed. And she said, well, look at me. I can't find a job. Imagine how much, sore, much more this woman who is probably from the countryside and has no education. She can't find a job. So why are we judging her? And her, you know, and she said, what are we going to do about this? And her uncle driving the car said, well, what are you going to do about it? And Cherry never started off wanting to start a ministry to women in prostitution. She just wanted to make friends. So every Friday night, a group of her and her friends would go down to the red light district, roll down the car windows and, and just start introducing themselves. And the very first night she went to the red light district, she rolled down her window and said, hi, my name is Cherry. Um, what's your name? Um, can I take you for pizza? And the girl opened the back door and 
jumped right in and said, sure, let's go. And that's how it started. Cherry made friends with these women and they said, you know, we like being friends with you, but we need jobs. And that slowly morphed into what is now a ministry that has been running for 23 years, Alilta Women at Risk, with a 95% success rate. And success for women at risk means women never go back to a life of prostitution. And they also work with their children so that we have seen the children of these mothers go through the program, graduate from university, and we now have a second generation of healthy young women that are contributing to Ethiopian society in fantastic ways. So I could go on and on about projects I've seen, not only in Africa, but Asia, Latin America, and it's just been the rugged commitment of local people around the world to the hope that the gospel brings, and they want to see these women live life and life to the full. So Jen, uh, I was really struck by the question that the man asked the young lady in the car about what are you going to do about it? So, so here's my question. If someone's listening to this podcast and they want to do something about it, what, what can they start to do right now where they are to make a difference? I think one of the first things is just to learn. I think, you know, we don't want everybody running out and trying to find a victim of violence and say, be my friend, because first of all, violence is very hidden. And violence is not just the black and blue bruises on the side of a woman's face, but there are psychological bruises, there are emotional bruises. And I think as people of faith and people in the church, I think just look around your congregation and look at the young people in your church, men and women, that are at risk. I think one of the biggest things we are seeing is that vulnerable youth are some of the most highly exploitable people that we have right now amongst us. And there are groups like Defend Dignity that is run through the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which does an excellent job of going into churches and making them more aware of the risk factors that particularly teenage girls are vulnerable to by what we call groomers. You see, what happens is, is that you get people with nefarious purposes that prey on the vulnerable inside and outside of our churches. And young women in particular at a very vulnerable time in their life, like the teenage years, wanting affirmation, wanting, you know, to have purpose, wanting to be noticed, these groomers come in and they're very tricky. They'll see these girls at the mall. They'll say, hey, can I buy you something? You're really good looking. And within 24 hours, they have got this girl in the palm of their hand and they can get her to do whatever she wants. It is that quick. And I think organizations like Defend Dignity do excellent training in churches to become aware of who are the vulnerable amongst you in your congregation and to start reaching out in a big brother, big sister kind of way. Young people want a mentor. Young people want someone to look up to and they want to feel safe. And I think in the church, we have to be aware that those amongst us are just as vulnerable as those outside of the church. So I'd say prevention is the way to start. And it's about making relationships and making yourself available to be that mentor or big brother or big sister to someone in your midst. Jen, you are teaching both a workshop and a full course on this whole issue coming up in November. Tell us about the course and then how the workshop is tied in with that. From November 12th to 16th, Ambrose will be running a Violence Against Women class. In the course, over five days, we'll be examining the various forms of violence that we find towards women around the world. The very first day of the course will also be a workshop for interested members of the community that would just like to have a sample of what the entire course will be about. People are welcome to sign up for the one-day workshop where we'll have an overview and also briefly explore some of the creative solutions 
solutions and initiatives that are happening around the world to address some of these mega issues of violence. And for those that are interested in taking the entire course from the 12th to the 16th, we'll be looking at different uh, responses, innovative methods, and ultimately, where is the hope in this darkness of violence against women around the world? Very good. So if our listeners wanted to sign up for the workshop, and then they took that one-day workshop on the November 12th and thought, I want to take the whole course, they could decide that. Absolutely. By all means, people are welcome to take the workshop and then continue on in the course for the rest of the week if they choose. For more information about that, you can go on to the Ambrose website. There is Ambrose Workshops, and that's where you could sign up for Jennifer Singh's, Dr. Jennifer Singh's workshop. And also, uh, you can go into our regular program and find the course that is going to be offered for five days during November. Jen, why should someone who's mostly working or volunteering in a church ministry context come to a workshop like this? I think that information and education is knowledge and its power. And I think the fact of the matter is we know for that churches in Edmonton are dealing with issues like female genital mutilation. We know that churches here in Calgary are dealing with women that are victims of violence and rape and other forms of sexual abuse. So I think that coming together with like-minded people and learning, that's power. And I think that will help as we seek together to find local solutions to our issues here. So I think there's strength in finding out about what is happening and being with other people that have the same type of interest. So what's on the horizon for Jennifer Singh? Well, in the next year, I hope to return to Ethiopia, where I lived for several years doing my PhD research on the role of the evangelical church in response to prostitution in their context. And I'm just working with my friends there now as we seek to put together a symposium where people that participated in my research, both women in prostitution and church leaders, will come together and I'll be able to share some of my findings and to get their response. Because my entire PhD research was meant as a gift to the Ethiopian church and I'm really excited to go back and present that gift to them. Hopefully they'll see it as a gift. And then to talk together, what are next steps? Like how do we get the evangelical church in Ethiopia to start wanting to respond to some of the root cause factors that make women vulnerable to prostitution in that context. Jan, it's been such a pleasure to have you on Faith Effects. Uh, really enjoyed this opportunity to, to hear about your work. And, um, and we're, 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 I'm encouraged. Uh, you've given me hope. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Jen. Uh, thanks again for being a guest on Faith FX. Mark, uh, that certainly leaves us a lot of food for thought. Any thoughts from you? Well, I, uh, I mean, I was so struck by Jen's passion around this issue. And I'm in this studio with her. You're in Regina. And, and mm-hmm. watching how when she talks about this, it, was, it, it animates her entire right. you know, body and voice, et cetera. And yet, there, uh, this is an issue that people could get angry about. And she's not angry. She's hopeful. Mm. And that really, I mean, being right beside her in the studio really had an impact on me. Because I think my tendency would to get angry. And right. strident yeah. and crusading, mm-hmm. and she cares profoundly, and she has made a difference, and she wants you know she she wants everybody to hear this. But I loved that uh, over and over again. I think that, that what we talk about in the podcast, the good news. This is good. She, she believes in the good news more than the bad news, and it, it is. You know, uh, just having this conversation with her made me think about 
those places where I do see, you know, society and especially the church making inroads. And, and so I understand where she gets this hope from. It's, it's a very hopeful story. I mean, not that we don't have a long way to go, but we've come a long, long way. And so I want to take an opportunity to applaud those churches, those leaders, those individuals, those organizations who really have charted a course and understood that this is part of our mandate to preach the good news. On October 16th and 17th, Ambrose University is hosting the annual Downey Lectureship Series with speaker Dr. Elaine Storkey. Visit ambrose.edu for more information.